All right, everybody, we are back. Welcome back to episode two of Lockdown Golden Knights, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I am your host, Danny Webster, Vegas correspondent for NHL.com and site manager of SB Nation's Knights on Ice. And fair to say that we're getting this a little bit uh, uploaded at a more reasonable time than yesterday. Uh, But for those of you that subscribed and downloaded and listened to episode one as late as it was, uh, thank you so much for that. Thank you for the support. Thank you for the feedback. Uh, please feel free to leave uh, comments on uh, if you are listening to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Uh, every bit of that helps. Every bit of that is uh, geared toward making this podcast better. Uh, make sure you're also subscribed on anywhere you get your podcast, whether that be, geez, I don't know, Spotify, Stitcher. I, I, I have confirmed Stitcher is a thing. You know, we had the conversation in the teaser episode about is Stitcher a thing? It's pretty much a thing. So Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, I'm pretty sure it's on there as well. Wherever you get your podcasts, please make sure you subscribe, you download, and you listen for every bit of daily content that is going on with the Golden Knights. And again, thank you to everyone who left your feedback and had your comments on episode one. So today, going to be a little bit more of a crowded episode. And next kind of couple of days is going to be crowded as well. Um... Today, we're going to dive into part one of a two-part conversation with uh, two of my good friends on the on the Golden Knights beat, uh, Dave Shane and Ben Goats from the Review Journal. Uh, both cover the team exceptionally well. Their insight is well, well received from a lot of people, and they're very smart when it comes to hockey. So not, not a bad couple of guests to get on. Uh, for the first guest portion of the podcast that we've had. So that's good. Episode two, we're already getting guests. It's all, it's all good. Um, so episode two today uh, is going to be a, the first part of our conversation. We're going to dive into a little bit of the preseason, talk a little bit about Cody Glass and just the outlook of how the Golden Knights have looked in the preseason uh, part two will be coming tomorrow uh, for our really our season preview ish type of podcast. Uh, we're going to do the second part of our conversation, uh, which was held at McKenzie River Pizza. So there's a lot of loud music going on there. So bear with us. But uh, Dave and Ben sounded great. And that's really all that matters. So that'll be coming tomorrow. It's more of the uh, season expectations sharks portion of uh, the podcast. And That was recorded on Monday, which means that we have totally missed the boat on Evander Kane's three-game suspension, which means he will not play in Wednesday's opener, nor will he play in the home opener for San Jose on Friday. So there's that. We're probably not going to get a whole lot of fights in there. So bear in mind, we recorded that on Monday well before the Department of Player Safety uh, handed down the verdict on Kane. earlier today as in Tuesday. But I I wanted to take a little bit of time before we get to my chat with Dave and Ben about uh, the two-year anniversary of today and really what where we're at now, I guess. Uh, Obviously, today is the two-year anniversary of the October 1st shooting that happened outside Mandalay Bay at the the Country Music Festival, um, 58 People were taken from us, and, you know, I I think back to that night, and it's crazy because the Golden Knights just played the Sharks in their final preseason game, and 
I left the arena at around 8.30, 8.45, and then I went to bed shortly after. And I just remember waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning and my phone blowing up. And I, I couldn't believe what happened. And the fact that it happened about an hour after, an hour after I left. I mean, God forbid if I stayed there any longer, I couldn't only imagine just what was going through everybody's mind at that time. But I just wanted to really say, as I, as I kind of get choked up, I usually get choked up, as, as I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, just wanted to thank all the first responders who were there that night. Um, everyone who really helped out as much as they could to get everybody they could to safety. And it, it's just, it's crazy that it's been two years. It feels like it's been five. Coupled that with the fact that the Golden Knights had played a lot of hockey in the, in the first two years of their existence. On top of that, it's, it's been a, a very wild ride. And, I'm fortunate to be a part of this community, being a part of this city, and I can I can definitely say that we've come a long way as a community in two years. The fact that everybody has rallied around everybody the way that they have and the community has embraced this team as it has has been incredible. So I just want to say thank you to everybody who helped out that night and to everybody who was taken from us that night, we still miss you. And to the victims' families, we love you. And that was definitely on display today at City National Arena when the Golden Knights held a closed practice but invited uh, members of the Metropolitan Police Department, uh, Clark County Fire Department, uh, victims' families and friends that were there. Uh, just an, an amazing gathering. The players stayed after and signed autographs and took pictures. It, it was just, it was just another culmination of what this team has done for this city, and what this city has recovered from in the last two years. So, um, again, thoughts to everyone, thoughts and prayers to everyone, and you'll always be with us, no matter where you are, no matter who you are. You you are always with us in this community. So. I just wanted to make sure I acknowledge that and um yeah. So yeah, let's get let's get right into it. Our uh our conversation with Dave, Shane, and Ben Goats of the Review Journal. Again, this is part one, part two will be coming tomorrow. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to Lockdown Golden Knights, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Uh, by the sounds you hear, we are currently in a very loud establishment with a lot of music, and uh, hopefully I don't get copyrighted. I don't think I will. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen like that, but uh, I'm, I'm happy because right now I have, uh, pun intended, locked on my first guests for Locked on Golden Knights, and the, the lame jokes are coming in already. This is, this is good. Here for it. Here, Here for, for it. it. Uh, ben Goats and Dave Shane from the Review Journal. Uh, how you guys doing? Doing good. Thanks so much for having us on. Good. Yeah, good. I'm ready to get the season started, though. Oh, man. I, the, the preseason was just drawn on forever. That's why I asked Galant the other day. I said, do you just do you mind having this long of a preseason? Because I, I, I can't stand seven games. Seven games is a lot. It's too much for me. <laughs> like, I get there's business to it, and, like, if you're Bill Foley, you want... 
home games. Yeah, yeah. They're getting 18,000 people in that place for a preseason game. Like, yeah, you want the revenue. But at the same time, I think if I'm a player, I think give me, like, one or two games and then I don't give it a go. Like, drop the puck. Yeah. You know? I think that's probably all I would need. Like, what did Marchessault play? Like, four, like, five? A lot of guys played quite a few. Pacioretty played quite a few. Pacioretty played four and he had ten points. I don't think he needed Preseason scoring champion Max Pacioretty, (laughs) that is. Does he look ready? Like, is... I mean, does is he ready right now to be like the patch ready of old in Montreal? Do you guys? I think so. I mean, he's uh, talked to us pretty recently about. I mean, last season he stayed in Montreal the whole summer because he knew he was probably going to get traded. He uh, couldn't train with his trainer in Connecticut as per normally. So like this season, he was able to get back into his normal routine. He got to Vegas about six weeks early. He didn't have to look for a house to uh, fit his three children and uh, his pregnant wife, who was pregnant with their fourth son last year. So I think just everything is easier for him right now, and that's kind of showing up on the ice, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, just, I think the bulk of it came from that first game where he had the hat trick, but it just seems like He's skating a lot better. He looks healthier. He looks he looks invigorated to be on a line, potentially right now with Stasny and Stone, but, I mean, who knows what the what the immediate future holds. But he, he looks outstanding. Best physical shape he's probably been in a while. It, it's always funny to me when you hear the guys, you know, after a trade and they talk and, yeah, you know, I'm good to go, I'm ready, I'm, you know, this is what I need, I'm energized. And then, like, a year later, they're like, you know, yeah, it was really hard, you know. <laughs> like, they put on a good front and, and, and all that. But, yeah, they're humans, and, and there's a lot that goes into it. Like Ben said, you know, there's family stuff, and you're going to a new city and a new team. And he's a guy that was a captain and has all of a sudden got to walk into a locker room where, you know, he's got he's to make sure he treads a little carefully and things like that. Right. He wasn't, you know, part of the misfits and and that whole crew and, and everything. So it's a big adjustment. And, I mean, I would agree with you. He definitely looks like he's skating, you know, better than than probably I saw him at any point last year. Yeah. So, no, I mean, Danny, I remember he talked to us uh, early in training camp about how he was, like, quote-unquote, walking on eggshells when he got yeah. in the locker room last year, which is not something you would expect a guy who's had, you know, multiple 30-goal seasons, had a really long NHL career already, was, like Dave mentioned, captain of one of the kind of storied NHL franchises. But he was. He was basically kind of admitted like he had a healthy fear of like, I don't want to be the guy that screws up a good thing because he knew he was walking into a good thing. And so that was kind of interesting to hear him, you know, admit that a year later of like even a guy of his stature had nerves coming into the situation oh, yeah. that are kind of gone now. I mean, it, I guess that's what happens. I mean, you walk into a franchise that is kind of skyrocketed into one of the best in the league. And here you come as an established, you know, I, I guess you can call him a, a superstar still, 30 years old, as a, an established guy. And when they traded for him, it was basically, okay, you are the one that's going to help us get over the hump, yeah. basically. He, he, they invested one-third of the triplets to get him to say, okay, you're going to be the guy along with Stasny to help us get over the hump. And it was a rough year for him, uh, you know, missing most of the on and off with injuries and whatnot, and it never got into fruition, but... I, I talked I talked about it on on Monday. I think a full, healthy Pacioretty is going to do wonders for this team, uh, and especially on both ends. Because a lot of people forget how good he was at the 200 foot game. Him at full health and full strength, I think if he can play 70, 75 games, or even maybe 60, 65, if he can play at that level, 
I think that's gonna that that could be an All Star type season for Pacioretty if he keeps on this pace. So I'll be negative, Dave. Cause, okay. You know, <laughs> uh, I'll say this: he better do that. Yes. Because, salary, yes. because exactly because all of a sudden the narrative changes next year because if he's making seven million dollars coming off two. And, and going back even the first year or the last year in Montreal, if he's had three straight, say, subpar seasons, making $7 million, then, you know, yeah. we in the media start asking questions. The view, the narrative, and everything changes about Max Pacioretty. So not to say it's a make-or-break season or anything like that for him, but, you know, 30 years old, and, and like you said, he was brought in to, to be the 30-goal scorer and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. And if he's not living up to it, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how yeah. things kind of kind of turn, I guess, if, if, if it gets to that. I don't expect it to. Not on that line. Right. But it's not out of the you know, realm of possibility. No, absolutely. Um, kind of briefly mentioned it as far as who Pacioretty is going to play with come opening night, as we, we all thought. They would open up with Staz and Stone, Pacioretty, the line, roll with that, what got you into success in the playoffs last year. Well, now Alex Tuck is hurt. He's week-to-week with an upper body injury. Cody Egan is day-to-day. His status is to be determined for Wednesday's opener. So there is the possibility Cody Glass slides in to that center spot with Stone and Pacioretty. And, I mean, if you're going to make your first NHL start, I guess that's not a bad uh, line to be with. That, that helps. No, I, I asked him about that when they first practiced together, and he said the, those two guys, Pacioretty and Stone, sure make it easier on a guy like him to kind of just go out and play. Um, but it was an interesting decision by, you know, Jargalon in the last preseason game to put those three together and then put Paul Stasny with the fearsome duo of Brandon Peary and Valentin Zekoff. Oh, that's a that's a definite fearsome duo. You, you saw what happened Sunday. Zekoff wanted to fight everybody. The Russian yeah. hammer. They the actually Russian hammer. They weren't uh, bad, I'll say that. They actually looked pretty good, and it was just an interesting decision in terms of trying to lengthen the lineup, basically, a little bit, where yeah. instead of a line where you've got kind of a guy, you know, is making just barely under 700K or 800K in Peary, a guy who had to fight to make the roster in Zekoff, and then a rookie in Glass, you kind of spread the wealth around your lines a little bit and break up that kind of second line that was so good in the playoffs. Have we heard that once or twice this preseason, how good they were in the playoffs? <laughs> um, and try to get, you know, three lines that you think can be, you know, pretty good rather than, you know, a top two lines that, you know, we all know can be pretty dominant, at least as a combination. And, and that's really what's hold, held them back, really, the last two years, right? I mean... Would it be fair to say that if they had a solid third line that could produce, they would have won the cup or at least pushed it to like six or seven in year one? I mean, I think that's been up front the black hole, for, like you said, yeah. for two years is, is that third line. They haven't figured out sort of like what they're doing with it, you know? Yeah. Like it was always like, well, is it a defensive checking line that you're trying to match up other teams with? Because I don't think that's the case because they try to do that with Carlson a lot because he's so good defensively right but then you know for two years you hardly got any scoring out of the third line exactly um my thing with it i'm actually on kind of jar glance view or side with the way that the lines are now with stassing as a third line guy i was in charge that's how i would do it i go back to what i kind of said last year when Eakin was playing well on the second line and Stassi was ready to come back, I thought, put Stassi on the third line. He can do it. He's a professional. Um, I made this comparison to uh, to somebody, I think it was 
Justin Emerson from the Sun when we were walking in about how in baseball there are certain guys that you get a professional at bat from. I love that phrase, a professional at bat. And I think if you were to put Paul Stasny on the third line, you get a professional shift or a professional game from Paul Stasny. He knows what he has to do in that role, where I think Cody Glass might struggle a little bit more in that spot. I think you can kind of incubate Cody Glass a little bit more between Stone and, and Pacioretty. I think you can still get production out of that. And then maybe get some production out of the third line where I think if Cody Glass was there, I'm not sure you would... You know, like, I think it'd be a bigger right. drop-off, I guess. No, I agree. And it's mainly because of who he's got. If, right. If Glass was somebody who was, like, 25-26 and he was already established, you could probably put him on a line with guys that you know probably aren't going to produce. But watching Sunday, watching Stasm orchestrate that line, they looked really good. I thought they looked... They more, than, more than not like yeah. potent, but right. They you were know, de- you know? I mean, they were. Yeah. I didn't look at Corsi. I'm not big on all that, but right. I mean, put it this way: just sitting up there watching the game, if I felt like I'm getting that out of a third line, I would feel good as a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Zukov definitely showed up. You know, I thought Pierre was all right. Pierre was decent. Stasny, I think, orchestrated the two of them well, and yeah. I mean, the fourth line I thought was good last night too. So fourth I mean, line was fantastic. I, I thought they were they were really good on the forecheck as they normally are, and they scored the first goal with Carrier on that tip from no sex. I mean, they're looking for, for me, it's it's more about how do you maximize what you're going to get out of Cody Glass, mm-hmm. and and how do you kind of as Sir Glenn said, how do you maximize like all four lines, I guess, and, and looking at four lines instead of just you know one line or, or, or two lines and, and things like that. I, I don't think it's an indictment on on where Cody Glass is that I don't think he can or that I don't think he's best suited I guess for the third line right I just don't think it's his game I think he's a top six guy you draft him to be an offensive you know playmaker exactly so put him in that spot let him let him be in position to succeed rather than asking him to do something that he might not be as comfortable with when you can ask Paul Stasny to do it and you know that Paul Stasny will be comfortable you know, in that spot, in that role. Right. So, I mean, let's address the elephant in the room then. Cody Eakin, let's say he's ready to go on Wednesday, and he slides back to third line center, moves Stasny back up to second line, or 1B, whatever you want to call it. Is Glass capable of playing the wing right now? Because I feel like if you want to maximize Glass the most... At least put him on the wing on the third line, but it'll give him some power play time. I Because just the way that he played on the power play in the preseason was so good. And we saw flashes of it last night where he's making a couple of no-look passes that almost resulted in goals. And he's been doing that all... Um, he's been doing that all preseason. But the third line needs a playmaker. They need somebody because... Eakin, for as good as he is, or as good as he was last year in the goal-scoring department, he's not a guy you want being your playmaker at center. And when Tuck comes back, you're going to need another guy to either be the playmaker or be the scorer, and you don't know if Pirin can be that or Zikov can be that full-time. So can you take the risk of putting Glass on the third-line wing with Eakin and eventually when Tuck gets back? Or do you send him back to Chicago for a little bit? I mean... I'm more, I think, conservative with a lot of these things by nature, as I think the Knights are. And so if 
it were me, I think I would want him playing in all situations in Chicago as my 1C power play guy, penalty kill guy, and then see where it goes and where the season kind of takes you from there. I mean, I think my thought would be with Cody Glass, I don't really care what's going to help me win a game in October. I care what's going to help me potentially win a game in April, and if it's me, I want to see if Cody Glass is going to be ready to be, you know, one of my four centers that I roll out in an April playoff series. And if I'm doing that, I want to get him prepared by having him play in Chicago to start the season. Which I don't think is a bad thing or an indictment on the guy. I mean, he's 20 years old. Right. He got a little bit of time with the Wolves. The last season was, of course, part of their playoff run to the Calder Cup final. And he had 15 points in, I believe, 22 games. He was good. But he also hasn't, you know, dominated the minors yet. For me, he hasn't stuck up his hand and said, hey, I'm for sure too good to be in the AHL. Like, you've got to keep me up with the big club. So that's how I would kind of see it is I don't see the need to force fit him into a position right now just to get him in the NHL. I still think there's development that can be had for him in the AHL. And that's not necessarily a bad thing or an indictment on him. It just might be what's best right now. So I'll, I'll go one step further, and I'll say that I don't even think it's necessarily about winning a game in October or even winning a game in this November. I think it's even more about 2021 and 2022 and beyond with Cody Glass. Because if, like, Max Pacioretty and, you know, everybody said, like, if he's the future, if he's the franchise and whatever, I mean, you don't ruin him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not saying that, that they would necessarily be doing that by starting him you know, in the NHL or whatever, but but you, you, he's the one guy you didn't trade. Like, if he's the untouchable kid yeah. out, of, out of the whole crew and, and all of this, then you need to do everything you can to make sure that you're still, you know, bubble wrapping that kid and, and protecting him and putting him in every situation that you can for him to succeed. Now, I mean, it's like a student. I mean, if you have a secondary, you want to push him a little bit. You want to see how far they can go. What, what can they what can they handle, you know? But for me, I mean, if I were to look at it right now, I think if Cody Eakin is healthy and ready to start Wednesday, which I don't think he is. I don't think so. But if he is, then, yeah, I would send Cody Lasta. And I would do exactly what Ben said. Put him as your one seed. Put him as your first-line center in the power play and, you know, let him do all the stuff that he's eventually going to, you know, do with the NHL. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I think I, I definitely agree with you guys from that aspect. I think it's more so for me. If you want him to get that development in the NHL, you find some opportunity to do it. I mean, he's he's not going to succeed, and you're not you're not going to make the playoffs with him on the roster. And you're, and you're not. I, let me rephrase that. You're going to make the playoffs if he's on the roster. You're going to make the playoffs if he's not on the roster. So it's really depending on what they want to do, but. I, I agree with you guys in the sense I just I just want to see him get some time. Just see what you yeah. can do. Even if it's on the wing, he's not gonna be he's gonna be a little bit hidden because he's on the third line and he would be with Tuck and eventually, or eventually Tuck and Egan. I'm on the mindset, just give him some time, see if it happens. If it doesn't work, okay, then you ship him off and use your, your first line set. But yeah, I completely agree. You wanna you you wanna get him as ready as possible. I go back to I don't remember if it was Colorado or the L.A. game on the road when he started on the wing 
Colorado Okay, and I, I remember because I specifically asked him after the game, just, you know, how did you feel? What were your thoughts on, on playing Actually, over there? I think it was LA. And was LA. he kind of even said first period he was on, you know, and it was very obvious from up top. Yes. There was a lot of just on breakouts and things where he just kind of looked lost and wasn't quite sure where to be, where to go. And then even when, once he received the puck, he just wasn't you could tell it wasn't natural for him to look up and and know where his passing options were you know to know that all of a sudden there's a wall right next to him and a defenseman there's nowhere for him to go you know there's certain things that go into being a winger that you know on a breakout and just little things like that that you have to get used to doing um eric howell last year talked a lot about it he was so used as a as a center to like swing through the zone you know kind of you come back and you like circle back well, as a, as a wing, sometimes you're pinned against the wall. You're planted, waiting for that first, you know, breakout pass or whatever. Sometimes, sometimes guys aren't just aren't comfortable in that spot. And then there's also playing off the other wing and knowing, hey, if he's, you know, kind of moving to your side, you have to balance out and move, you know, either to the center or to the right based on where the center goes. It was very obvious in that first period that Cody Glass was not a wing. Can he learn how to play wing? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Every good player can adapt and, and all of that. But I just think he's a natural center. And even Kelly McCrimmon kind of said, like, he's going to play center in the NHL level. And if it means he comes to wing, you know, plays wing, then we'll, we'll get to that, you know, when we come to it. But I think it's more about, look, let him develop at his spot where he's, you know, suited best to play. And, you know, go from there. The one thing I'll add, though, the power play, yes, he's got. If, if he's if he's up here, he's got to be on the power play. Yeah. Whether it's the the first unit, second unit, however they do it, I don't know. But he's got to be on the power play because that's the one spot where he's looked beyond NHL ready. I would say not just even one spot. He's played at multiple spots on the power play and looked yeah. good. He took Alex Tuck's spot as a net front guy yesterday in the preseason finale against the Sharks and looked good and made some plays from that spot. I mean, that was wild to me to see that you've got this, you know. He's gained five pounds in the offseason, but still, is a pretty scrawny kid, you know, planted in front of Martin Jones, and he's making no-look passes to Mark Stone. So, I mean, that was impressive to me of just, he's got the awareness and vision kind of no matter where he is on the power play to make an impact. We haven't quite seen that translate to five-on-five yet, that's and we'll see I, that's what that ends up looking like down the road. Yeah, that's where I would have the reservations. If, it's, if it still hasn't translated to five-on-five, I would completely see it, you know. Keep, keep him in the AHL if it doesn't go in, go into fruition. But like you mentioned, Dave, it, it's pretty it's pretty likely Eakin's not going to play Wednesday, so he is going to get his shot. And all it takes is a couple of games to, to make an impact. And if he has a couple of good games, especially these first two, when you know the rest of the world is going to be watching, not even just everybody here, not even just everybody in California, that primetime game on... Wednesday night is going to be um, such a huge showcase for him if he plays. And it could be a huge opportunity for him if he plays well. So All these guys always talk about opportunity and, you know, I want to take advantage of my opportunity and things like that. You never know when it's going to come. I mean, you know, what, a week or so ago, a week and a half ago? Yep. I don't I don't know how many people thought Cody Glass was going to make the roster. I didn't. No. I mean, I put I it in print. I thought of the, you know, kind of four or five guys competing for, you know, that third line, bottom six-ish, you know, those roles. I thought he was the least likely probably 
of the bunch to make it. And now all of a sudden, hey, you know, a couple well, injuries here. Happen, yeah. And yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they always talk, you know, things change. You never know. And, I mean, if he comes in and kills it, I mean, he probably <laughs> never sees the AHL, you know, ever again. Right. So. And then we have another conversation of what they do with Cody Eaton. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Pending free agent. So that's, yeah. that's a good discussion. That 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 expiring is a, is a tad expensive on the prices side. All right, guys. So that is part one of my conversation with Dave Shane and Ben Goats of the Review Journal. Again, part two will be coming your way tomorrow. We're going to discuss the the rivalry that is the Sharks and Golden Knights, and is year three cup or bust. For Vegas, all that and more tomorrow in my second chat, or my se- the second part of my chat with Dave and Ben, and also we're going to preview the game tomorrow between the Sharks and the Golden Knights. It's year three tomorrow at T-Mobile Arena. Holy hell! All right, guys. Well, I'm your host Danny Webster. This has been Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we will see you tomorrow for Game One of Year Three. Have a good one, guys.